Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige film. Today, we're talking about a prestige documentary. It's the uh, 2006 UK documentary film Deep Water, which uh, tells the true tells tales the true tale of Donald Crowhurst and his participation in the 1968 Sunday Times Golden Globe race around the world, single handing a yacht, a small sailing vessel. It is directed by Jerry Rothwold and Luis Or. Osmond. They're both British documentary filmmakers. Uh, Rothwell's best known for How to Change the World, Town of Runners, Heavy Load, and Donor Unknown, while Osmond's known for Blitz, London's Firestone, Storm, The Beckoning Silence, McQueen and I, and Dark Horse. It's narrated by Tilda Swinton, and it's made almost entirely uh, of contemporary interviews, uh, documentary footage, audio recordings, and then interviews with the uh, with, with primary source participants. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to say too much about this film in spoilers because I didn't know what it was about. I, I mean, I kind of did broad strokes it's about this this yacht race and these men's participation and kind of like the human spirit and whatnot. Yeah, but you hear that and you kind of assume a bunch of different things. Um, and I was continually shocked at like where this documentary was going. And I think you're best served. Um, if any of this sounds interesting at all to just shut this off now, it's a 90 minute documentary. Uh, go and watch it and then you can rejoin the conversation uh, or not. Do whatever the hell you want. You know, it's a free country. I'm just saying uh, I was glad I went into it. Surprise, Jim. Uh, spoiler free. What did you think about the film? Uh, I, I I was like you. I expected something else from this film. Actually, what I expected is that this commission was going to be entirely for Aaron, and I'd just be along for the ride because it's about sailing. I know you're big into sailing. I'm not big into sailing. Uh, <laughs> to to put it like that. Um, it, and so I was like, okay, well, this will probably be interesting. You know, from like a oh, here's how sailing works and all that. And it turned out to be something different. Um, and it turned out to be much more for me than I expected it to be. So I was pleasantly surprised by that. And I ended up pretty enthralled with the documentary without saying exactly why. Yeah, I like it. And it's not just the the main, uh, I guess, Donald Crowhurst is the, the main focus of the film. Mm-hmm. But they also kind of like sketch, I think, an effective portrait of some of the other strange men that participate in these kind of things, you know? Oh, sure. They're all... Uh, all kind of salty dogs, right? They are. And if you're going to race around person. the world by yourself in a boat, you got to be at least a little salty. But like, like oddly engaging, like uh, there's uh-huh. this uh, Frenchman Bernard who kind of looks like a dashing Jason Isaacs. And he's like a poet, right. philosopher doing this as like a person like his his kind of memoirs and and his approach to this thing and the, the final resolution for his part of the story. I just like like stood up and cheered at 9 30 a.m monday morning in my living room uh it's it is it's kind of like i cecily is walking through kind of like getting her day started and kind of got like sucked into it with like five minutes of watching i'll probably end up watching this again because uh she she wants to see how it turned out Mm -hmm. yeah i I thought i was going to be engaged in this because as you said i'm really big into sailing um, I really like old sailing boat type of stories and movies and books. Um, I've done a bit of sailing myself. Um, it's just something that, uh, it just, I don't know. It just appeals to me. It, it's like, yeah, 
Yeah, ma- harnessing the Earth's natural forces to make yourself move on the water either like <laughs> mm-hmm. it has an inherent interest to you or it doesn't. Um, that Frenchman I like talked about the I think he called it the the savage joy of the the boat making relentless forward progress. Like you know, like it just really speaks to you. It um, speaks to me intellectually. Like I think that's a cool thing. the The concepts there are awesome. Uh, physically, yeah. it doesn't speak to me as much. Yeah, yeah. And and it's like, you know, this was no small amount of danger. Oh, yeah. Um many boats, I think out of the 11 that set out to make this uh 1968 circum solo circumnavigation, only only one guy actually fucking made it. Uh the other, the Frenchman yes. could have uh he just declined uh <laughs> to 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 be a hero in his own way. Definitely um, definitely treading on spoiler territory here. Not not yeah. for the documentary or for the race, and I don't want to want to spoil it too much because like not knowing how the race turns out was part of my fascination with this. Because you know what, we should, we should go back. We should go back and delete what I was just about to say, okay. uh, all that stuff. Okay. I say where where could I go back? I, I've got the danger. You know, there this this um this race was no small amount of danger. I mean, you think about this, uh, and they make it very clear this is the days before satellite navigation, mm-hmm. before you had like vacuum packed superfoods. Um, before you had you know satellite communications and things like that, so like, <laughs> yeah, I'm worried about driving too far out into the country and not being able to find my way back. Yeah, uh, without GPS, like my phone dies or something. Going out on the ocean, it's yeah. just cr- like once you go over the horizon, you're nowhere. You're nowhere. Yeah, yeah you you in the middle of one of these great oceans. It's just a featureless, and for days and days and days, it's all the same. Right? And you're just keeping track of where you're at with math. And like uh-huh. a gut feeling, kind of, you know, um, it, it is it's uh, and, and, and it's alone, you know, like you got to face uh, the, at the, in the at the southern tip of the world. The mm-hmm. winds are fierce. The waves are high and there's no like good time to cross them. It's uh, it's kind of insane. And uh, there's all that drama. They also like, you know, what the men's uh, wives and families thought at home and yeah. How much was like riding on them economically to complete this race? Um, it's a little bit of almost like a gladiator spectator sport. Everyone's uh, urging you on. Uh, you're taking all the risk, but all the crowd is kind of watching. Um, it's great. It says a lot about um, it says a lot about human beings under high pressure situations, I think. And uh, I, I think it, it's worth it's worth a rental. Um, sure. It's worth checking it out. Um, should we, I, I guess this is where we're going to go away from the spoiler freeze part of the review. Cause I don't know what more I could say. Um, it's a documentary film, you know, it tells a compelling story using like maps and these, uh, really well restored, uh, footage from the late sixties of, of these people and their boats and the water conditions. And, um, it's all really compelling, um, and well done and well narrated by Tilda Swinton. Um, Here's it's not, where not go- to be confused with the Ben Affleck and Anna Darmus uh, erotic thriller that's named Deepwater <laughs> that just came out this year. Yes. Searching yes. for this wasn't super easy. I had to type in Deepwater documentary to get it. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you Deepwater, Deepwater 2007, you should get there. But um, um, this movie uh, was commissioned, as I said, by A.A. Ron. Um, and he says, I have. Uh, wait, he goes, uh, I bought a commission podcast this evening that I'm hopeful neither of you have had any experience with in the past. Deep Water, the British sailing documentary from 2007, 
the film um it's actually credit as 2006 if you're looking for it I, I think there's some confusion between when it was actually released versus when it was started like streaming on the bbc but hmm. this movie has haunted me for years with so many emotional themes male ego pride humanity family our perceived versus actual autonomy gender roles what choices we make as individuals how they affect all those around us I identified with the protagonist in so many deeply rooted ways phew and while the money, uh, it may seem like a lot to pay for a, co- a commission, uh, this kind of venture with this many free hours of content you provided me over these many years, it's a steal. I'm buying that you and hopefully the greater Bald Move community has an experience uh, or an experience with a movie that you probably missed. I'm sorry if it sucked. It did not suck. Um, so let's talk about the film, Jim. Um, okay. I thought it's effective opening on like just absolutely terrifying shots of the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. Mountain sized waves and 70s mile an hour winds and just spray you can't see through trying to round the Cape of Good Hope uh, was appropriate because that put, put me immediately into the kind of mood of of what kind of film this is going to be man versus savage nature. Yeah, but it was also unexpected too because that the entire time they're showing that they're doing like narration of voiceover being like it's about isolation and the delicate mechanism of the mind and i'm like Mm -hmm. okay i could see that like this is a long journey i guess i didn't realize just how uh far they'd go down the delicate mechanism of the mind route (laughs) i I thought it would be more of like a you know robert redford in that one movie uh all is lost all is lost yeah i thought it'd be more like that where he's yeah. battling against nature. It's a, it's a, but it was almost like man versus nature versus the nature of man. You know, mm. it was like this weird trifecta of things that were battling each other. Because it's all optional. Like that's the uh, thing that right. haunts this film. This guy doesn't have to do any of the things that he is doing in this film. Um. Yeah. And there's very it's it was clear to me and this is kind of like uh I had a similar feeling when I was watching the All Is Lost where Robert Redford in that film is just uh to my mind a terrible sailor. <laughs> um I was watching this guy prepare and I just kept on like I ran out of fa- uh, palms to face. Like I was just like there's one, there's my right, there's my left. Uh I needed third hand to face palm because the just Everything I heard, like this guy, he's uh, we thought he had several navigations. He's more of a weekend sailor, never done any blue yeah. water sailing, always stayed in intercoastal on lakes, uh, setting out in a craft of his own design, uh, mm-hmm. like alarm bells, like like still putting on the finishing tip touches on emergency equipment 24 hours before. Bloop, bloop, bloop. <laughs> and it's like, all experimental technology, like shit that no one uses on boats yet. Uh, and and like in the early days, like in the first two weeks, like he's having trouble with compartments flooding and yeah. like the screws are falling out of his uh, 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 auto tiller, which means like if that if that breaks, that's the thing that there's advice on a sailboat that will will keep a, a boat on a given heading uh, without the person being there. Uh, if you don't have that, you can't fucking sleep. Yeah, you can't fucking eat. You can't fucking repair, do anything. You have to stay at the tiller the whole time. I'm just like, this is two fucking weeks out in relatively calm water, dude. And and the yeah. whole like the the de- the deadline for for entry in this race, October 31st. Yeah. 
But it's not like one of those arbitrary, like, well, October 31st, and then, like, you know, the, the you just can't put in your application. It's not safe. Like, if you don't hit the certain, you know, if you don't, mm-hmm. if you don't get through a certain part of this voyage before winter sets in, you're just going to die. Yeah. And this guy who took two weeks to sail three days is leaving on the day of the deadline. That was the and, thing. The final moment where I was like, this dude should not be doing this was when he was about to do this like press junket thing and he ha- he was sailing up 150 miles in the wrong direction to to do this and it was supposed to take three days and took him two weeks i'm like and th- this is what when he gets there it was like a week before his departure his his mm-hmm. deadline so yeah i was like yeah man you shouldn't do this you just obviously yeah. shouldn't do this and it wasn't clear to me whether it was like his seamanship or uh the boat that was giving him problems and right. then i I read I, I read a little bit more because um, I was just kind of taken by this. I did some research mm-hmm. and I guess this guy took um, like a shakedown cruise. It might have been the press junket cruise with a more experienced sailor. And that guy got off the boat and was like, this guy fell into the water like three times <laughs> Oh no! Uh, in like relatively calm water. And he's oh, like, wow. I'm, I, I really have concerns about this guy kind of making it. And it's also striking to see this guy's wife. Like, I, I don't know if you did, but I saw it in her eyes, like on that last day where mm-hmm. she's kind of got like that kind of manic panicked look in her eyes. Like, oh, my God, my husband's going to go out there and get himself killed. And I imagine all I their wives felt that way. Uh, at least uh, to some degree. She probably <laughs> felt that way a little bit more. But yeah, I, I think Jason Isaac's wife was uh, she had a certain uh, je ne sais quoi <laughs> about their relationship yeah. and, and about the man that she had married. But Do- okay, Donald's sera, wife, sera. I, sure. Donald's <laughs> wife, I think, was scared. Yeah. Um, uh, just, I, I wish they would have gone more into the contract details between him and his financier, because this was the thing propelling him forward. Right. Is like. they set up this um, impossible dilemma for him so he can go out on this race and continue forward into seas that are almost certainly going to kill him with a broken boat and inexperience Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or he can call it quits and turn around and face financial ruin because he signed this contract with his financier that if he either does not compete or does not and this is where it gets nebulous does not complete a certain amount of the race like i wasn't sure could he go down to cape cod and then turn around and say right well i tried and and the contract is fulfilled or did he need to go like across that southern sea um i wish they would have gone more into that so i would have felt the stakes or i would have understood the stakes a little bit more so i there i i looked into that because i was curious too i guess so uh donald had invented this type of gun uh, radar gun that you could point at the shore and with a tone it like tuned into different uh, um, navigational radio beacons and you could navigate a boat just with this little like radar gun hmm. um, okay. it was like a new thing that he invented and he got this guy who he signed the contract with to finance the business side of this deal um, and it was I guess it, 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 the by all accounts it worked and it was a nifty invention um, it just maybe was a little bit ahead of its time Huh. Or okay. it's kind of like Garmin where they invented the GPS navigational right system right before it came phones, on everyone's yeah. cell phones. So it's yeah. like uh, it, it was kind of a fiasco. And this was like stage three of like, um, I won't say it's a scheme, but it's like this. He kept on roping this guy in. It's like, OK, well, this thing failed, but like, let's go bigger and better. And the guy financed him again. And then when that failed, the second time he tried to market it failed, this was his third attempt. Like, well, I'm going to use this device to circumnavigate the globe. 
it'll make us famous and then it'll fly off the shelves. But on this, I guess on this version of the, the finance and the guys like, okay, but I need a lot of security because I'm, I'm in six three figures. times. Shame on me. Yeah. 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 So this guy's like, he was going to lose both of his businesses mm-hmm. and his house. Right. Like everything. He was going to be destitute. I understood yeah. that. I just wish that they had gone into like, how much of the race did he need to complete? Because they make it clear that like he needed to make an attempt or uh, a real attempt at this, but they didn't say like, yeah, because a lot of it is like, I don't know, they kept on referring to it as a contract because the, the impression uh-huh. I got is that Donald just felt like he owed this guy. Like this guy believed huh. in him when no one else would and he had almost like a, like like the fear of disappointing this guy, like disappointing your father, plus you potentially might lose everything if you disappoint the guy for the third time, you know? Gotcha. And then that uh, was largely, it appeared, what, what drove him into... Um, you know, make, making the choices he made is is fear, right? Like fear of embarrassment, fear of um, letting his family down, fear of letting his financiers down, fear of letting the hundred thousand people who were rooting for him back home sure. down. Like all that stuff drove him forward into an impossible situation. Can we step back before we talk about I, how sympathetic did you find uh, this this uh, um, uh, Donald? Th- uh, Donald Crowhurst. Fairly sympathetic. I, I look, this is a, this is an act of hubris. It, it fundamentally, right? Like, yes, I'm going to circumvent. I'm going to be the first person to do this or the fastest person to do this. I, I guess first to not a Shakespearean stop. Greek, Greek tragic yeah. kind of hubris. Yeah. But I do understand like the, the psychology, the forces that compel you to do something great with your life. Right. I, I get that. Um, it, is it worth what he ultimately sacrifices for it? Probably not. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I understand that. I understand the philosophy. I understand the attempt. I, I wish that's something I didn't have a, a good handle on. I still don't is like the, the documentary paints him as a pretty privileged individual. Like he sure. grew up in the uh, in India in some kind of consulate where it looks like he had like yeah. kind of lived in palace type conditions that had like wild animals that he could just just has a picture of him riding on a fucking bear. Yeah, he's the and... child of a colonizer for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I I was trying to think of like, but was that was it was. I wasn't sure if like was he like literally the son of a high ranking diplomat that was like some kind of lord or peerage and and there's like yeah, some yeah. kind of like sure. like I, I think those people's delusions of grandeur could tend to run deeper than like your just average Joe's kind of delusions of, totally. of grandeur. Yeah, and it's and I'm not saying that like to be mean living living up to like, their their heritage right living yeah. living up to their their bloodline or whatever. Right. When you're trying to do this in an empire that's shrinking and declining from the world stage and you've got kind of like, there's all kinds of like, you know, national pride and personal pride and like, I I wasn't quite sure of like, was this guy just kind of like kind of middle-class well off or was, and, and kind of like uh, hanging out with, but, or what was, cause like some of that had to go into it. And I think that's also fundamental of understanding like his mental state and how, trapped he felt with that and also like how destitute was he because i noticed i kept noticing that his wife and kids the surviving don't, don't seem like they were in like row housing or no they you seem know. like they're in a pretty nice country home yeah so like w- you know is this like rich people broke that he was facing or is he gonna like you know or, or maybe his sacrifice of his life 
um, is what made them like, like, did they kind of make off or avoid the ruinous aspects of failure because he kind of offed himself or I think or so. What? Also, um, they make a point at the end that, uh, what is it? Robin Knox Johnson, the guy who actually did, became the first man to circumnavigate the globe yeah. alone without stopping. Yeah. Um, yeah. donated his winnings to them, which was 5,000 pounds, which doesn't seem like a lot today, well, but in 1969, probably a lot more. I thought it was also interesting because there's, this goes back to the massive, um, uh, insecurity that Donald probably felt that something ruined their family in India and they came back to yeah. the UK and his mother had 5,000 pounds to start the household. Uh-huh. And she envisioned that that lasting years and his uh, Donald's, uh, you know, widow is like in the camera and being like, uh, but somehow this 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 amount got spent in a matter of weeks. And yeah. I got I, I, I got a lot of like Lord Grantham kind of energy. Like I've I've totally. I, good, good news, everyone. I've saved the family by investing in an American railroad. And uh-huh. next episode. Oh, my God. How could I have lost it all? Like <laughs> totally. You know? Yeah, I don't think they were very frugal at that 5,000. Well, I wasn't sure if it's like bad investments or they literally just like, well, you need, we're, you know, we're accustomed to a certain way of right. life and we start spending the money and it's... I think that was more it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 5,000 pounds I don't think is a lot of... I mean, I, I can't imagine that's enough to set yourself up for, for yeah. 30 years, but... Um, In 69, it might be enough to almost buy you a house outright. Yeah, Who knows? yeah. It'd be, um, or, you know, come close to paying off your mortgage or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, so I, I found myself much more conflicted about how sympathetic this guy was because the thing is, is I kept on thinking at every stage, if he had just come clean, sure. He would have been better off than anything else that could have, that it could have happened. Like everything, everything that he did from the point of like, cause there was a point in where he's like, you know, I give myself less than 50, 50 odds of surviving this thing. I haven't even gotten to the difficult part of the, uh, the pr- pr- place and my gear is falling apart. Half of my trimaran is flooded. Uh, I just need to pack this in. And instead he found this third option that you alluded to. <laughs> And I'm like, so we, we, I think we talked about this. We need to make sure that we, we, cause we talked about this a little bit pre podcast. You and I were both confused. Very. Be- and I think it's, it's, it's actually really smart to put you into the mind of his family and his friends at home mm-hmm. because it's like, well, what's the third way? It's like, well, I, I can't turn back. And if I go for, I'm going to die. The third way, he starts setting like a record pace. Yeah. And I was thinking, naive fool that I was. Well, maybe he's like this crazy, like a fox kind of guy. He's 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 hit the <laughs> winter store, severe winter storms, and he's just going to have this massive tailwind right. pushing him like faster than anyone's ever gone. And he's got this crazy trimaran and it's just going to fucking and he knows he's it. dead anyway. So fuck it. Let's just go all out here and I'll catch this wild Frenchman. Maybe <laughs> it never occurred to me until it was probably obvious um, to everyone else watching. That oh he's just fa- he's just making shit up. So that's I think the f- that's when it occurred to me that like as they're starting to explain this because there's a good section of the documentary. It's like 10, 10, 15 minutes of this documentary where you don't really know what this third option was, and then they start explaining like okay he's setting record paces, but then there's and the crowd's getting real excited and everybody's uh-huh. like you know they thought everyone felt so bad, but now it's like oh my god our boy's doing it. it but then without explaining that they're switching gears they start saying 
And there was no way he could, you know, reconcile the pace that he said he was setting with the pace he was actually setting. And and I'm like, what? Okay, so he's falling further and further behind his own fake records here. Mm-hmm. And and then at some point when they start showing him his actual position not moving and the fake position moving, I'm like, oh, I see what he's doing. Okay. Yeah. Because he, he didn't seem to be making any progress at that point. Right. And you're like, why is he not at least at least coming south? And no, apparently he didn't want to come south. And I think what they could have they could have done was showed the actual line of his journey instead of his actual like claimness. Because at one point, yeah, yeah. Um there's this po- there's point where it's like he's still in the, the Atlantic and his son's talking about like there's so many oh god, there's so many great things about kids and like loved ones. Like this kid is like um, observing a winter storm at sea, you know, and like for the first time, like, you know, he's eight or nine years old. Oh, daddy's going on a boat. And you think, oh, you know, it's a bright, sunny day and he's going to li- and he's just going to, you know, he's going to be gone a long time. But like you see the waves and the wind and you like, oh, my God. This might kill my dad. How can anyone live through this kind of shit? And they show like, you know, they've showed his like his boat claim boat actual. Well, his boat actual is on what would be the right side of South America had mm-hmm. he cleared the 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 Cape of uh, uh, Good Hope. No, no, Cape of the Cape Horn. Um, gotcha. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, he survived. That's a miracle. It then dawned on me again that, oh, my God, he never even rounded Africa. Yeah, exactly. He's just been doing this lazy figure eight <laughs> in the middle of the Atlantic. Uh-huh. And he's literally made up. It's not that he's going to be behind. And right. slow and just he's literally making shit up. Um, but he thought he could get away with it because there's four other dudes in a race. And mm-hmm. he's like, well, I'll just I'll just mosey in fourth. I'll get no one thought I could do it. No one's going to look at my logbook to who gives a shit about the fourth guy's logbook. So I can just kind of creep. No, I'm not going to be remembered historically, but this is the middle path yeah. between killing myself <laughs> and actually winning the race. So the third option became clear at that point. Yeah. But unfortunately, I feel like it would the, work. It has a high probability of working, right? Like, well, so there's there's so many tragic things into this. I know so it, it had w- the Frenchman lost his goddamn mind <laughs> and six weeks for home, uh-huh. like searched in and is like, you know what? I don't want to go back to France. Whoop, ripped the Louis and went off towards Tahiti. I'm going to go around yep. Africa. I'm going to fucking do this again. And it turns out uh, he got about halfway. Uh, yeah, and then, and then finally call it quits. Yeah, I got to read up about that guy, man, because like, why yeah. did why did you why to heat? Why stop at Tahiti? Why not just keep going? Um. So and and the other thing that's like super ironic and tragic is this: the guy who he was racing with, this guy's like Jesus Christ. This guy is like right on my ass. I got to push myself to the limit, mm-hmm. and he pushed his actually well worn and circumnavigated boats to the limit. And it foundered like a couple of weeks away from if 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 yeah, he didn't think that miles. Donald was right on his ass, he could have easily made a record setting pace. Yeah. Uh, but he had to pull out. So now Donald's in this. He's the only guy left. <laughs> yeah. No matter what he does, they're going to look at his books. Uh huh. Unless unless man, I, I, I take I take it that he was in a position where like if he finished at all, he was going to be the fastest time yeah. because. 
And there was no way for him to really slow down believably enough to make that not true. Right. Or just be the only other guy that did it. Like, yeah, I think I don't. Yeah. I I, I don't think it's a matter of him winning or. um, Well, it was about the fastest time. Yeah. At that point, because Robin, Robin Knox Johnson had already finished um, and he became the first man to actually do it. But the fastest time was still up in the air. And I, I get the impression, like, even if he slowed down, he couldn't slow down enough to change the outcome to yeah in a way that would be believable so he was stuck again i don't know why he didn't i don't know why he didn't just uh radio for help like six weeks from home and just be like i'm found like my ship is sinking i need to be rescued i think he was going fairly mad at that point i i don't know that he was in his right mind so they they try and make they make a lot of connections between um like the 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 hardship that like astronauts go through and and stuff like that where like you've got this kind of isolation for long periods of time and it takes a toll on you not just physically but mentally and they do a pretty good job by you know sorting through the messages that he was radioing back um to tell us that he was kind of going crazy and then and then like at the end they read his journals and he's just sounds full-blown insane yeah, it's like Yellow King shit. Yeah, like, like at one point he says, "I am a second generation cosmic being," and I'm like, uh, "Oh my god, okay." Yeah, this guy the only way to liberate myself is that it's it's uh, and and that's my question is like because there's as you probably could guess there's a lot of conspiracy theories like there's some there's a theory that yeah. he faked the madness and is living somewhere in the Bahamas or the Caribbean, right. you know, lived that the rest of his life just as a carefree beach bum or a like a sailing yacht charter guy or or whatever. Um I think he snapped. I think that this guy was uh like a three-time loser from a family who had squandered a fortune and he wanted to be something and he thought this was the way to do it and he had had some modest accomplishments and his inventions and stuff and it's just like this was his last shot of like reclaiming whatever glory he once had and he's going to do it by a hook or by crook and then when the crook ended up hooking him he just because it's it felt like his 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 it did feel like his uh log reports were lucid up until that guy sank and he realized oh my God, there's nothing getting out of this. I'm going to be exposed as a fraud. Yeah. Um, And that's where he's like turned to like trying to figure out some kind of moral calculus of the universe to like make this okay. And, (laughs) but sympathetic, I mean, yeah, he, I guess he's, he's got as much sympathy as any other like mentally ill person. Do do you think that the mental illness was brought on by the trip or do you think he was kind of like, at the end of his rope and this was not actually any kind of rope at all it's like i feel like he was borderline before he took off here um especially like the the few months leading up to the start of the voyage you could see a lot of cracks right there's a lot of footage in him here just like interviews like chewing his thumb you know and just like "Mm, oh you can see whatever smile he puts on for the camera is just that it's put on for the camera he has to because he's got like a don johns uh the johnson type of or not don johnson don king style promoter right that's yeah. like trying to amp up everything he does and like is exaggerating his exaggerations accomplishments and like feeding in in the worst kind of way like mm-hmm. like th- this should be about like 
I mean, this is a no like crossing just the Atlantic <laughs> uh, single handedly yeah. is a no shit thing to do. Like mm-hmm. it, it's it's something that you would have to do soberly after like years of experience and like baby steps to make sure that you and your ship are ready to do it. And this guy's going to fucking like on a notoriously dangerous uh, like course. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of insane. Um, yeah. And he's already committed to it. That, that's where I felt like the committed. Yeah. Yeah. Be, because he was financially committed to this from the jump. Yeah. That that was where I felt like he was kind of borderline to begin this journey because he had all the stress on him. Like the, the dilemma started immediately when he said, I'm going to do this. Yeah, because and, and he like that's where like doing some independent research filled in the rest of like his life was one series of like next steps forward to stave off this ruin. Gotcha. And this was like like if if. If uh, digging a hole to China had gripped the world, he would have invented a pneumatic shovel, uh, like like a pneumatic spoon shovel or something, you know, right. Like, it just so happened. And, and I love the way they tied in the space race with this race. Like, you know, this night, this is this, this zeitgeist in 1969. You had the, the space race going on between the Russians and the Americans. And this was also kind of like this, the, the public could easily see these guys being isolated for almost a year. It takes almost, you know, mm-hmm. the better part to uh, two thirds of a year to sail around the earth and, and, and best conditions. And they're isolated that sole time. They're not seeing anybody. They're not stopping for refueled or refitting or any of that stuff. Like they did a good job of kind of like tying those things together. And I just wonder like if, if, if this guy had been like failing five years before or five years later, I think he would have just been really embarrassed and, you know, had to take his knocks and he'd be fine. But because he was in the situation where he was able to keep on taking that next step forward and make it a bit like, you know, like the cliff gets higher, but it's in the future and you just keep on putting it off and putting it off like he just it killed him. It literally killed him. Yeah. Yeah. The only place where I'd stop, like I draw the sympathy line, I guess, is when it comes to his family, because the only people he really hurt here are his family, you know, and that's, that's the tragic part of it. Um, because you know, guy goes out and gets himself killed on the ocean is not like a super tragic story. It's just the family here that makes it tragic. Um, but ultimately, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a decision he made that he got in over his head. You can see why with the desperation. Yeah, yeah. I I do feel so. I I thought that the I thought that the I thought the. I think I'm a little bit more like balanced and like, you know, I, I don't think this guy's a hero. I think he's a human mm-hmm. and he could be yes. pitied to a certain amount of point. And you're right. Like his wife at the end where she was like, you can tell feels really guilty because she's like, I knew I knew he yeah. couldn't do this. I knew this was crazy, but it wasn't my place to say like, honey, come on. Um, and I if like I and she you could tell she like relives like if I had just like I I could have I was the one person on this world that could have said Donald no, and of course she wasn't his financier could have done it his publicist could have done it any one of the sailing consultancy that that had serious misgivings about it could have done it but like she's taking all this stress on and his kids yeah. are, like are you know traumatized by it you can tell even as adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially like I kept on call, going back to this uh, journal entry that they read and was right in those first like four or five weeks where he decided on a third option. And he's like, you know, I've got these two options. If I go back, I face ruin. If I go forward, I face death. Uh, it's always between time and money. He goes, but like, you know, if I do chuck it, I will still have my wife and kids. And I think he yeah. 
and I kept on thinking, did he believe that? Or is he one of those guys that thought like, well, if I lose everything, of course, my wife and children are going to leave me because <laughs> hmm. I because if he truly believed that if I stop now, I'll lose everything, but I'll still have the love of my wife and children. Then what a fucking fool. Right. But if he was actually a, like a lot of, I think, men deluded into thinking his only value to his family was the fact that he can provide. I, uh, I think a lot of then he's uh, got my full sympathy. I think a lot of these these people are the types like to do something like this. You have to be the type that doesn't doesn't value, you know, wife and children and family as much as the next person, because like, you know, half the people who went out on this race either died or ended up deciding, fuck it. uh, I'm not going back to my family. I'm just going to sail around the world or decided I can't go back to my family because of the financial ruin and the embarrassment I face is worse than any any outcome here. Mm-hmm. The, the type of people who do this, I think, are less concerned about what um, is going to happen with the people they love and more concerned about their reputation, uh, their future, their own personal matters. They're so they're themselves full stop. Yeah. And and like, I definitely felt that about that French guy. Because <laughs> uh-huh. like I said, what a Chad for just like, you know, I'm six weeks from home. Fuck it. I'm going around again. But like his log entries around that are just, you know, how can I explain? How can I call my wife? And because he, he didn't, of course, how can I ex- call my wife and my children and explain to him the fact that I just know that this is right for me, that this is where I need to be, that this is my true home, that this is like... <laughs> And he's like, I love them, of mm-hmm. course, but I'm like, do you? It, I mean, you might love them, but you love yourself more. And yes. that's that's fine if you're willing to admit it. I guess I that's a like choice you can make. But like th- there are dudes like that and there are gals like that, too. But it's like you just have to realize that about yourself and maybe not get married. Probably definitely not have kids. D- definitely. That's the thing. Like if it was just the wife. Well, I, I don't know exactly what the relationship was um, prior to this. Like she might have understood that he's the kind of guy who would, could just on a whim go sail around the world for another nine she months did, or whatever did, she did there's a lot uh-huh. of kind of like oh what 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 can be done with the man such as <laughs> right. this the curse of the marriage you know? they like have their dream they're entitled to it go yeah. go do it man but the kids that's the that's the thing i wasn't sure if this guy had kids but i think they mentioned that he does and yeah the kids the kids can't consent to that yeah, especially because like that one kid where there's an interview with the wife, she's like, you know, most of the kids are kind of circumspect about it. But the youngest, mm-hmm. that guy seemed like he was mentally tormented, like a kid out of a James Wan film. Like he's like wakes up screaming and sees his father in the hallway when he's not there. And like, damn, man, that's some that's some that's some rough business. Mm-hmm. Um, But I also get the call to do stuff like that, right. like. You know, like like I used to hear, always hear Dan Carlin and we even talked about this in a few lunches a while back. Like, you know, people wonder, like, what is it like to be on like an ancient battlefield? and You got a bronze sword in your hand and there's 10,000 guys across you and they're going to come across and they're going to try to hack you to death. Mm-hmm. Like what? And, and you can never know. You'll never know what that's going to be like. But you can know exactly what it's like to be a 15th century sailor. You can do that sure. right now. Yeah. Like you go hit the roaring forties and the furious fifties and it's they, they they're like that. They'll always be like, I don't know if we can fuck up the environment enough to make like this giant sea completely unobstructed by uh, uh, land masses rotating with the earth's force, just stirring up shit tons of waves and, and storms of wind all the fucking time. They never stop. 
Like you can know what it's like to be that far outside on the edge of human existence right now as as, as strong as it was 500 years ago. That's kind of yeah. incredible. I can see the appeal of like, can I measure up to these great men of, of the past? Um, and, and I think it doesn't necessarily have to be something that endangers your life in order to, yeah. to get that out of it. Right. I think there are a lot of people who feel that call and their response to it is like, I'm going to devote my life to this thing and they just end up ignoring their family and their loved ones right like sure. and that becomes the death of their father like he, he just never spent any time with any of his family because he was on this crazed mission to prove himself to the world yeah uh, yeah but in this case it's very much like life or death and it's grandiose and you can see it right it's and like it takes a measurable chunks of your life too like if you're um, you know, a BMX rider, you're a skydiver, you're some kind of professional stunt thrill seeker. Like, you know, you're still you're an MMA fighter. You're at home, uh huh. More often than not, yeah. But when you're when you're solo in the world, you're just gone sure. for years at a yeah. time. You know, and then that's that's right, not even like accounting. Biz- business people who go off to change the world. Right? They might spend. That's true. Like if yeah. Elon Musk doesn't spend any time with his fucking kids. Fuck are you no. kidding me? He sp- spends probably half an hour a day with them. Sees them for half an hour a day. Quality time, get out of here. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they are not allowed to need anything or require anything from him. Right, not at all. Right. Yeah. He and he's out there. His... He's doing the same thing, right? He's sailing around the world. It's just, it takes a different form. Yeah, yeah. Um, but man, it's like the, the things that like, they also like, I love the way this film was structured. Like it's a noose around this guy's neck. Uh-huh. Like every step he takes to stave off ruin puts him deeper in a trap that he can't even see. Like the fact that he's kind of floundering. Well, do I radio for help? If I do, the jig's up. They're going to know that I'm a liar. I can't fucking do that. So I got to do all this other crazy stuff. So I got to go radio silent for like seven weeks, which. And and then even at the end where it's like he just want he didn't want to win. He didn't want the Uh he didn't want the fame and the fortune. (laughs) He just wanted to try to drive between those two extremes of eternal glory and eternal damnation. And his own actions cause one guy to push his boat to the limit and the other guy's brain to fry and f- need to go off to Tahiti. And he put himself in that, 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 that trap even further. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish we'd kn- known more about his time in Brazil, too. Yeah, uh, he stopped at one port, right? And then they found one old fix. British Coast Guard guy that kind of sort of remembered him. But like that was... Yeah. Like I and and there's nothing in his logs about it either, as far as I could tell. But like, what went like? This was in this radio silence time. Like he decided to roll the mm-hmm. dice and f- flagrantly break the rules. I mean, like, the, I I understood that. I was like, oh, okay, well, he's gonna sink if he doesn't. He has to get this repaired. The world's a big place. Like, if he goes into one port in some random part of South America, like. Is anybody really going to check what all the crazy, crazy rich white guys are doing? Yeah, right. They they don't think they don't know that he's where he is. He shouldn't be where he is. Nobody's going to go there to check up on it. It's such a long true. shot that he would get discovered, I think. But it just felt like for, for that guy, the fact that like if they checked his boat registration or whatever, like there'd have to be some kind of like notice in there. I, I don't know. I just thought that like maybe. It felt like a, such a huge risk and um, that, that was such like just kind of glossed over like this time where he did a little bit of mini refit before he was going to try to take everything and go home. I also wish I they'd done a little I, I kind of wish this movie was longer and they would answered some of the questions I had like 
I'm certain that it's impossible to fake your logs like exactly. But like, yeah, I would have appreciated a little bit of like how they would have this, how they would have fucked it. If he was just murking like mileage and stuff in his log book every single time, uh-huh. um, like how would they ever have discovered that he was wrong? Um, right. Cause he wasn't stopping in ports. That was the whole point of it. Right. It wasn't like right. oh, he got to this port at the wrong time and we can tell that yeah. cause it doesn't match records and no one has I records got- of it. Yeah, like, like it's kind of like this. So there's this iron butt challenge in motorcycling where you can go a thousand miles and in 24 hours, you can get this iron butt pad badge for from this organization that tracks it. But they do things like you're supposed to keep your mileage and stop at every gas station and, and attach a receipt. So it's sure. like, you know, at this place, I bought this much gas at this town at this time. And mm-hmm. then you can kind of like it be, you know, you can probably do. But like it keeps you from like just driving around, you know, the beltway of your city and and getting getting the thing that way. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I I don't know what kind of what goes into a sailing log book where it's like, is it phase of the moon? And like, uh, you know, you're doing you're you're doing the local noontime with your fucking sextant and stuff. And like a, a really salty dog could go through and be like, there's no fucking way that the sun was this high in the sky at this <laughs> right. local time when you're off the coast of New Zealand, pal. Like. I, I don't know, but I, I feel like with like two or three minutes, they could have like explained mm-hmm. the math behind it. So, so um, even a lay person like me could understand it. Yeah that, yeah, that would have been nice. I will say the logs were one of the more fascinating things because like, it, especially when it comes to his psychology, what possesses someone to keep two sets of logbooks? Like if you're actually trying to fake this, why are you writing down the truth? Why, why are you keeping a record of the falsification of your actual or, or your primary logs? So that's one of the controversies. There's no evidence that he kept this kept the second false book. What? That's what people surmised. But when they found his book abandoned, uh, there was only one log book. It was the correct log book. The only thing missing was the ship's chronometer. Uh, and and the man himself. But oh, like, well, that sucks. This this I, documentary portrays it like this is a fact. We found the second logbook, and that's how we yeah, know he faked no, all this. There, there's there's the people surmise that there might have been a, a fictional copy that he might have drowned himself with or something. But like we don't know. Uh, the ship showed up as a ghost ship. Um, then how do we even know that he didn't circumnavigate? Like I, because he did. He kept a, he kept the logbook of his actual journal where he just did a figure eight in Atlantic is was was on the the boat. Oh, that was the so primary. He, OK, gotcha. so like like if there was a second one that he was going to now people surmise it because like what else a was his plan one. if there was a faked one, but okay. there was never a, a fake one that they actually discovered on the boat. So gotcha. Well, they make a point in the documentary to say like, OK, when he was spending time in South America, there off the coast of Brazil, he was trying to come up with a way to fake it right like he was trying to think okay he'd have to fabricate his books so i guess they never really say that well the other thing is um i guess no one has seen all of the logbook um the logbook is available to certain people like the 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 100 of the logbook has not been like released to the general public Oh, okay. so like a lot of these lurid details, like, you know, him, you know, talking about being a cos- second generation cosmic being and stuff like that has come <sighs> to light. But uh-huh. I, that's why I'm just like, I I don't feel like I know the whole fucking story. Um, And there was a lot of sketchy, sketchy stuff uh, as far as like the end of his because, again, it seemed like he was genuinely lost his mind. Like he had a complete mental break sometime between leaving Brazil and. He, mm-hmm. according to the last few logs in his book, he was just kind of like adrift in the Sar- Sargasso Sea up in the Caribbean. 
Um, gotcha. And it's fascinating. They found his boat adrift. Uh, it was salvaged and it was used as like a snorkeling um, charter until I think the 80s when a hurricane damaged it. And now it's just sitting on uh, one of the Cayman Islands, like on the beach. You can go like a like, what? yeah, it's just it's it's got its name there. Like you can it's recognizably the boat. You can actually go see that thing just rotting on some public beach. That's as of today, I feel like Indiana Jones, but this belongs in a museum, right? Like I, it's or or is it something where they don't want to honor the well, the yeah. liar? They don't they don't want a piece of false history in their museum. I so that's the other thing that I got that like when this all came to light in 1970, mm-hmm. like this went from imagine like um, it's kind of like a Lance Armstrong kind of deal. Like everyone was like super motivated by this guy and, you know, he lost his testicle and he's still winning these races and he's done it clean. And he's done it the right way and he's beating the Frenchman and all it's. And then like it ends in disgrace, like, mm-hmm. Oh, well, he did dope. And then suddenly it feels like that. Um, the popular culture just for tried to forget this guy ever happened as quickly as possible because it was embarrassing to everyone involved. Yeah. And in, in this, this documentary kind of turned that thing around. And since like, I think uh, mm-hmm. in like 2014, they made a, um, uh, a biopic about this guy with Colin Firth playing him, which I desperately want to see. Mm-hmm. But like his image, like, like has been a little bit rehabilitated. Like, look, yeah, the guy, it was embarrassing and, and he paid a stiff price, but like, this could kind of happen to anybody in this situation, you know, like you get to the end mm. of the rope, you do people do crazy things and totally. look at his wife yeah. and his kids and they're sympathetic. So now people are, are like, but, but like, it, it seems like there wasn't a lot of research into it in the time. Yeah. Um, it does that, make that, me wonder like how many of these types of stories go totally untold because yeah. either the person who was perpetrating the scheme didn't keep records of the actual scheme because why would mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. or they got away with it right like mm-hmm. uh yeah there have got to be countless numbers of stories like this that would all be fascinating uh i i really enjoy these types of of hey here's a crazy story documentaries um i'm trying to think if there's anything else that i want to talk about i mean I guess I, I want to come back to when I said that, like, I felt like the movie is a little bit too easy on this guy. Maybe that was a reaction to what we we're just talking about. The fact that, like, this guy was pilloried and made a mockery of the uh, in, in his contemporary time, his family kind of humiliated. And but like everyone and the thing that bothered me is like they let him off the hook in terms of like it wasn't a mental illness. It was it's like, oh, he was having a bit of fun. He was like playing a game. He was being playful. He was just no, he fucking wasn't. He mm-hmm. was let's like I can be sympathetic about a person conspiring to commit a deception on again, especially since he's trying to do as noble a deception as he can. Like I I don't want <laughs> I don't want to be known as the number one guy. I just want to be known as the guy who kind of like, you know, finished a marathon and then and, and you know, it wasn't it wasn't a, a breathtaking speed. It's just kind of like amazing that the guy did it. Uh, so my family isn't destitute or broke. Um, but like during when they were, t- when the, when the, the movie was turning that corner and letting us in on the fact that he is just fabulizing this whole thing, like, it was just like, ro- like talking head after talking head saying, Oh, you know, he was just having a bit of fun. You got to understand that he was just, uh, he's being a little bit playful. It became a game to him. It's kind of, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think he was, 
yeah, he was he was lying. He was openly lying and trying to find a way to yeah. do something of that with with like he, he was trying to have his cake and eat it, too, which gets a lot of dudes and a lot of gals in trouble, you know? Um, sure. And, you know, it's like it's like I, that's the other thing is I felt sorry for him the same way. Um, I used to feel sorry for like every 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 well, a couple times a year. I used to work at this big convenience store chain. Right. And um, a couple times a year, uh, a manager and assistant manager would get in a little bit of money trouble. And it was almost always understandable. Like, you know, their kid needed braces or, you know, their engine blew up and they needed the you know, husband and wife were lying on a car. And what do they do? They take a thousand dollars out of the till mm. and they think I can just float it through the weekend. <laughs> and if I can do that, then I can put it back. But it's like, you're no, like you can't float a thousand dollars out of anything nowadays with computers to track and bank records and all that. Yeah. And I always felt so fucking bad because I worked for a company and made that shit federal. Like you stole from them. It was your ass. And like, oh God, I yeah. felt, but it's like, these are, all like Donald's cases where it's like, Jesus, I, you know, I could just like, I, you know, like, I don't know. Like, you, you, yeah, you, you've gone through all the payday loans and all the credit cards and you still need the money. It's a problem probably with our system that like when people get against necessities like food and housing, yeah, yeah. they'll do anything to keep them because else what are you going to do? Obviously. Starve? Yeah. You, you have to. Yeah. Yeah. So Donald, Donald, uh, What's this? I can't can't, can't ever forget or remember to say Crowers, Donald Crowers, the victim of the system. Well, you know? yeah, they I mean, they set it up by saying like, you know, his uh, devices weren't selling like off the shelves, like hotcakes or anything. But we we stayed fed. You know, they, they set it up as like he didn't need to do this. This wasn't. Yeah, but he felt like he did. That's, he that's like where did. That, so sure. that's that's where it's like he's less sympathetic than these assistant hubris. manager it's, types, because like. He had other resources yes. and they were fine. And he just did this because of whatever his family history and family station, mm-hmm. you know, he needed to, you know, he needed to keep his lands and titles up or he was going to be embarrassed. And right. that sucks. So, but it's also a failure of the system. <laughs> you know, no one, no one's got, no one, no one should ever feel that important. Right. That like you, you risk your life to keep what social standing you have. Oh that's yeah, insane. I mean that's that's a that seems like a bit of a mental illness in itself. Yeah. Sure. I wonder if it's something we've always had. Like, did, does that happen like to us in hunter gatherer times? Like, you know. Oh yeah, I'm gonna go fight this yeah. uh, this bear that's been like terrorizing yeah. the tribe because Og used to have plenty of mammoth meat. Now Og lean times. <laughs> Og must fight sure. bear. Our family stuff. Like, did this like that? Yeah. It's like you know, and then the wife's like. Og, we have the berries and the roots. Like, it's not great, but we're getting by. No, Og put meat on table. Og kill bear. And, right. of course, he goes out there and he's, he's, he's sending back the raven messages. You know, the bear hunt's going great. Mm-hmm. You know. Darcy <laughs> could not do. <laughs> he's, yeah. And he, he spr- he's the other guy who's competitive. He's do competitive uh, bear hunting. He's pushed too hard. He falls off a cliff. And now Og has to kill the bear. And he knows right? he can't. Yeah, he's like, is this something we've always been plagued with? Or like, I suspect, I suspect that yeah. this is a kind of a modern craziness because I think Og in real life would just go with the berries and roots until the mammoth came back. But uh, probably, I don't know. It's a hell of a documentary that uh, starts off talking about sailing and end up talking about the uh, mammoth hunts. Yeah, it was way better than I was expecting going in. So, uh, good commission. 
AA Ron quality commission led mm-hmm. to some good. Inf- uh, I that's I, something I would never in a million years had uh, had ever heard of or thought to watch is right up my alley in ways I expected and not expected. And uh, cautionary tale for all of us, man, it's never too late to just come clean <laughs> and hold on to the things important to your life. The things really yeah. important in your life. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. Uh, that's a commission podcast. If you, it sounds like a lot of fun to make us talk about something random that uh, might delight everybody. Uh, you want to see what that's all about. Go to uh, support.boldmove.com and check out the commission podcast option to find out all about it. Uh, we'll be back with another one. I'm sure very soon. I think uh, we got uh, uh, speaking of uh, the system requiem for a dream. Nice. I think that's the next commission, which I remember when I finished that movie, I confidently said when as I hit eject on the VCR tape, I'm like, that's one that I'll never have to watch again. Oh, boy. And I did not know that someone would actually pay to make me watch it. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's going to be an experience um, to to revisit that 20 years on. That's what's coming up next for commissions. Uh, Of course, we'll have prestige and pulp coming out all the time. Uh, Thanks for listening. Thank you very much, AA Ron, for, for commissioning it. And we'll see you on the next one. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Bye.